Ah, mmm. The first taste of rare bourbon you finally got your hands on. That's nice. At Caskers.com, we make this experience easy. Caskers is a one-stop spirit curator with an impressive selection of exclusive sought-after rare and household names in the realm of premium spirits and champagne. Discover the top flavors of the year now by going to Caskers.com and using code WELCOME10 for $10 off your first purchase. Get $10 off your first purchase with code WELCOME10 at Caskers.com. This is Good Morning Liberty. Well, what is up, all of our Liberty-loving friends? This is another fantastic episode of Good Morning Liberty. My name is Nate Thurston, and I'm here by myself today. And it's not just Charlie's fault. There's other factors involved, but let's all agree it's mostly Charlie's fault. I wasn't going to do an episode today because I'm not feeling very well. I've been feeling kind of under the weather for a little bit. Omicron. That's what's definitely happening, but I just decided I would go ahead and throw one together real fast. So normally on Wednesdays, we do an episode called White Pill Wednesday, and that's where we just talk about good things, and we throw all this positivity out here, and we say, hey, I know that we talk about bad stuff every other day, and we complain about things, but it's not all bad. So today we're going to be going through several good stories, but I do have to talk about a couple other things beforehand. So we will be starting off with a couple not good stories and then White Pill Wednesday will officially start a couple stories in after that. All right. And if you want to watch live, if you want to get this episode, which I didn't do live and you want to get it before everyone else, stuff like that, or join the discord and chat with everyone who's in there, then you want to go to goodmorningliberty.locals.com. So you can join for as little as five bucks a month. You chip in towards all of our expenses for doing this show because it's not free. And we push a little bit of liberty on the masses together. So the first thing, there was a school shooting yesterday, Oxford High School in Michigan. And so I'm going to go through an article here from the Washington Post about this. Listen, we uh, we don't like death. We're not... We're not in favor of it at all, and it's uh, definitely tragic when this happens at schools. Of course, gun debates, stuff like that, kicking up, because what else would you expect? This one has felt a little bit different, because I haven't seen all of the media just talking about it like crazy. I mean, it broke for a little bit yesterday. The same stories have been available under the Twitter news section for this, kind of the same five stories that have been available the whole time. It's not the top story when you go anywhere like Daily Wire or Blaze or CNN or MSNBC or even Washington Post or any of the places that we go to find news stories, AP, any of that. It's not the top one. We don't know any information about the shooter yet. It's just, it seemed like there's been a, pretty tight lid on the whole thing so far, which is which is weird, but I'm sure we'll get more details as everyone figures that out. So authorities are investigating what caused the student to allegedly turn a pistol on his classmates at a Michigan high school, leaving, this says, three people dead. I did just find out before the show that it is now four. One of the other students uh, did die today, I guess, and seven others injured Tuesday, as a small town is left to grapple with what has become a routine American tragedy. So you got to get that out there in the first 
paragraph, right? Like this is just the kind of thing that happens all the time. We'll talk more about all the gun violence stuff later in the week, but I just wanted to get this story out here before we get into the White Pill Wednesday. The suspected gunman who has not been named by authorities is a 15-year-old sophomore at Oxford High School who attended class before he began shooting, allegedly firing 15 to 20 shots. It remains unclear how he obtained the gun, which police said was purchased by his father on November 26th. This is going to be an important part of the debate that we're sure to have with everyone over the next week or so before we move on to the next tragedy is the uh, gun laws debate. And of course, what we find again this time is that it was illegal for the kid to have the gun. It was illegal for him to take it to the school. He didn't get it from anyone except for he got it at home where his father probably purchased it legally, although I don't know anything about that. So what law would you create where the kid would for sure not have access to this gun? A lot of people are talking about, well, we need to make sure that they are secured properly at home. That's just having a law that says they have to be secured properly at home, by the way. there's uh, They're not just coming into your home to check your guns. Not yet, anyway. The four people killed were students at the school. Oakland County Sheriff's Office said, identifying them as 14-year-old Hannah St. Juliana, 17-year-old Madison Baldwin, and 16-year-old Tate Meyer. And I did not get the name of the fourth victim that had not come out when I got this article. All right. According to Giffords Law Center, a gun violence prevention group that publishes information about gun laws, Michigan ranks 20th in the nation for states with the strongest gun laws. Quote, Michigan laws are certainly not the weakest, but they could be a lot stronger. Anderman noted that school shootings are still exceptionally rare compared with other types of shooting. Yet in most school shootings, the weapon is a firearm left unsecured in the home. So we'll see if we see any pushes for that coming up and as we get more information we will talk about it on the show now the supreme court the next story i just wanted to mention a couple things are is hearing the arguments on this abortion case of course a lot of people are losing their minds out there in the twitter sphere i see bernie posting a lot about it about the woman's right to abortion and all that listen i think you guys probably know where we come down on the abortion thing i don't think it can just be made illegal or anything. I don't think that that is an answer that's ever going to happen. But what I also want to make sure people know is that this is not exactly overturning Roe versus Wade, where all the abortion is just going to be made illegal after that. Women aren't going to have a right to do this anymore. It's not exactly what's going to happen. First off, Roe versus Wade, it's a, a viability argument. I think it's at 24 weeks is where that's at right now. And all this is say all this is talking about is the Mississippi law that bans abortions after 15 weeks. So members of the Supreme Court's conservative majority are suggesting they may make sweeping changes to limit abortion rights in the United States. This is from AP News. The High Court is hearing arguments Wednesday in which the justices are being asked to overrule the court's historic 1973 Roe v. Wade decision legalizing abortion and the 1992 ruling in Planned Parenthood v. Casey which reaffirmed Roe under, under those decisions, states can regulate but not ban abortion up until the point of viability at roughly 24 weeks. Courts here in the case about a Mississippi ban on abortion after 15 weeks, the state of Mississippi is telling justices that Roe and Casey should be overturned and its law banning abortion after 15 weeks upheld. Justice Roberts said, why is 15 weeks not enough time? 
Justice Brett Kavanaugh, one of the conservatives, suggested the court should leave the issue of abortion to Congress and the states and return to the position of neutrality. Now, the, an important thing to remember here is this law, is, it's not just making abortion illegal everywhere. It should stay in the 15 weeks. By the way, only 5% of abortions occur after 15 weeks. So that's something important for all sides to remember. One, if you're on the conservative side, you're not stopping very many abortions. And then if you're on the liberal side, they're not stopping very many abortions. And if you just make the decision before 15 weeks, you're still able to do it. So it's not exactly the end of the world right here. I can't figure out why it's the end of the world when it comes to this. Liberal justices questioned whether overturning the precedents would make the court, now dominated by conservatives, appear political. So, they're out there talking, it was uh, Sotomayor, I think, that made this argument that this was going to damage the court because people were going to think that it was political. And I just found that an interesting argument or an interesting concern to have when it's appearing political in one certain direction, because when it was appearing political in the other direction, it was totally fine for the court to appear political. And that's what I got. We got plenty of rulings that appear political and everyone was totally fine with that. But if we appear political in the other political direction, then that could end up damaging the court. And that is not what the court should be determined by, by the way, this should be determined by the law. They should be determined by the Constitution and not what the majority of Americans happen to think right now in 2021. They got to go back and look at the Constitution on this and not worry about whether or not people are going to be unhappy with the decisions that the courts make. I see the argument for if people lose faith in the court system, they'll eventually lose their legitimacy. I think that's already happening somewhat. I see that. I see us going down that hill. In fact, we talked about this when uh, Amy Coney Barrett was being nominated, that this might actually lead to the Supreme Court being treated more like it was supposed to be treated, which was someone that issued opinions on things and not laws or decrees or anything they were going to send their SWAT team out to enforce, that because the left could not tolerate anyone else's opinions or political ideologies, that this might end up leading to the court being treated like it was supposed to be treated. And when we talk about the abortion thing, not going to get into all the intricacies of this right now, but what I do want to stress here on White Pill Wednesday is that it is important to keep in mind that I think both sides of this argument, both of the reasonable, rational sides of this argument, sorry to use a couple subjective terms right there, but both reasonable, rational sides of this argument, one saying that this is murder, this is killing a human being. Listen, you might disagree with that completely, or you might have other arguments like the rights of a woman uh, to go against that. But, but if you truly believe in your heart that this is killing another human being that's someday going to grow up and have a life and cure cancer or something like that, I think that you're arguing from a, uh, from a reasonable standpoint, at least. I think you're arguing from somewhat a, a point of principle right there and and not just being a political hack when you're making that argument. And if you're saying that, well, we can't force women to carry a baby to term, like how are you going to force that? Shouldn't a woman be able to have the right to decide to have this medical procedure? And then you got to argue about whether or not you're talking about a human life or not and ending that life. And if you're talking about, well, a woman should not have to be forced to carry a baby to term, I understand that this is sad, but could you really force a woman to do this? 
there's reasonable, rational sides. There's fine people on both sides of this argument. When you get into the more ridiculous sides of the argument, like this is just men who want to control women's bodies, there's a lot of women who are against abortion also. I think that there are more moral grounds on this issue than there are this, this patriarchal tyranny that people want to portray it as. All right, on to some of the better stories for today. On to the White Pill Wednesday section of today's episode. Louisiana judge blocks the nationwide COVID-19 vaccine mandate for healthcare workers. So we'd already seen a couple blocks from the 5th and 6th circuit courts. And we're going to see those continue, see if this ends up going to the Supreme Court, see what they do about that. Now, there was another mandate for the healthcare workers. And I understood, you know, a lot of how this was changing things. My wife got an email from her, uh, from the CEO of HCA. Of course, they just have someone else write the email and send it out to everyone. But anyway, got an email saying that, well, they're, they're blocking OSHA is not enforcing this mandate, but we still have to follow the CMS mandate. We still have to do that. So anyone who works in the healthcare setting, who's working around patients, working in a hospital, we still have to enforce that mandate. And so now I'm interested in seeing if they're going to come out and say, well, actually, we're not going to enforce that mandate either. One of the problems is we've already gotten up to the point where they had to have those vaccines to keep their job. And this is what we've been talking about the whole time. Let me try and keep this positive, but I think the strategy here this whole time was to get people to act as if this was going to be the law or the regulation and they had to follow it and to fire the people who weren't going to do it and to keep the people who were going to do it. And I don't think they ever really had any, I don't think they ever had any plan that this was going to remain in effect. I think it was to get people to prepare for it going into effect, knowing the entire time that it wasn't going to go into effect. Anyway, a Louisiana U.S. District Judge blocked a federal COVID-19 vaccine mandate for healthcare workers Tuesday, issuing a nationwide injunction and injunction another setback to President Joe Biden's effort to require wide segments of the population to be vaccinated. Dowdy ruled on a lawsuit led by Republican Louisiana Attorney General Jeff Landry and joined by 13 other states, but Dowdy added a nationwide injunction in his ruling. That's the judge, Dowdy. In his decision... He wrote the Biden administration doesn't have the authority to bypass Congress in issuing such a mandate. Quote, if the executive branch is allowed to usurp the power of the legislative branch to make laws, two of the three powers conferred by our Constitution would be in the same hands. Now that right there is a good quote. That's good. It's, it's a good to hear a judge saying that. Is he a more conservative judge? I don't know. Probably. More, more than likely. But he's making a good point. If we just allow the exact now, this is what the this is what the regulatory bodies do. This is what the alphabet agencies do. These unconstitutional bureaucracies do all the time. They essentially write laws and they usurp the power of the legislative branch. I'm interested in some of these might end up hurting a lot of the bureaucracies, which would be great. They'd end up hurting a lot of the different agencies that are out there because a lot of people are saying, well, you're kind of issuing a law right here and you don't have the power to do it. Uh, he continued, if human nature and history teach anything, it is that civil liberties face grave risks when governments proclaim indefinite states of emergency. Now, there's a nice white pill Wednesday right there. Okay. And 
I think it's cool that we're seeing this come out of the courts. I mean, we kind of said this from the beginning. Uh, a lot of people said it from the beginning, not just going to say it was us, that this was never actually going to hold up. It wasn't actually a thing that they planned on being in place. They were just trying to get people to prepare for it. The courts are doing their jobs right here. We had these egregious mandates come out uh, saying that you could essentially be fired for not having this vaccine, actually forcing you to be fired if you did not have this vaccine or weren't able to opt out of it. And they're saying that the, that the executive branch doesn't have the authority to do this. And they're right about it. All right, let's go to reason... Another thing that came out as a mandate during the pandemic, the eviction moratorium. They said one of the country's last eviction moratoriums has been struck down. That's good. There's a win. That's awesome. Boston politicians are fighting to retain one of the country's last remaining eviction bans in the face of waning pandemic and and an adverse court ruling. That's right. They just got a adverse court ruling. Newly elected Boston Mayor Michelle Wu has vowed to contest the state judge's ruling, which found that the city's moratorium was an abuse of its emergency powers. Wu said, we need more protections for renters in Boston. You know, one thing that would be a protection for renters is uh, making sure that they still have people to rent from later on. That would be something that I would look at. Our focus remains on protecting tenants from displacement during the COVID emergency and connecting our residents to city and state rental relief programs. In August, the Boston Public Health Commission, BPHC, issued a sweeping ban on evicting almost any Boston resident for non-payment of rent. Only tenants who have been found by a judge to have violated their lease terms in a way that impaired the health and safety of other building tenants and neighbors could be removed under the order. I want to look and see how many people were removed because they were unvaccinated. That seems to be the only thing that they left in there. The city's moratorium was issued just a few days after the U.S. Supreme Court struck down a federal eviction ban that had been issued by the CDC. A Massachusetts ban on evictions was allowed to expire in October. And so then they enacted their own eviction ban. BPHC argued in response to their lawsuit that its own eviction moratorium was necessary to prevent the spread of COVID-19 and was therefore justified by state public health laws that gave the power to craft reasonable public health regulations to combat communicable diseases. In a Monday decision, Housing Court Judge Irene Bagdoian firmly rejected this argument, saying that nothing in the statute cited by BPHC would suggest that an eviction moratorium that overrides state landlord-tenant law was reasonable. She said, quote, This court perceives great mischief and allowing a municipality or one of its agencies to exceed its powers. There we go. Getting some wins from some judges here. Talking a lot about executives exceeding their powers. And so even if you get people in there that are doing things you don't like, it might last for a little bit, but a lot of this stuff is getting struck down. And maybe, just maybe, we have a system in place that will not allow some of this crazy stuff to continue. I don't know. Move on to a health thing. We always try to cover, I think there's a lot of really cool advances in, in health technology. And, uh, you know, a lot of people die every year. And so if you can stop that from happening, I think that's pretty good. Uh, overall, pretty good thing. And so people are working on that, this whole death thing. They're trying to get rid of that, which we're in favor of. Not entirely. I mean, if no one died ever, that wouldn't be good. But, you know, dying too early from something that could be stopped. I think that that's, that's important. 
Detecting cancer with a simple blood draw could soon be a reality. Every year, thousands of Americans, from ABC News, by the way, thousands of Americans undergo routine screening to catch cancer in its early stages while it's still treatable. But these routine tests can be painful and invasive, and doctors only regularly screen for five of some of the most common types of cancer. So for decades, scientists have been working on ways to screen for cancers using a simple blood draw rather than a painful biopsy or invasive test. These so-called blood biopsy tests are closer than ever to dramatically improving the way doctors screen for cancer. Galeri, a new blood test by healthcare company GRAIL, Grail, is one of the most advanced blood biopsy tests that works by looking for fragments of DNA in a person's blood that indicate the presence of more than 50 types of cancer. Remember, doctors only regularly screen for five of some of the most common types of cancer. Dr. Michael Seaton, the former president of the U.S. Oncology Network, sees biopsy, blood biopsy tests as part of the future wave of so-called precision medicine. The idea that each person's medical care can be tailored to fit their specific genetics, medical needs, and unique characteristics. Precision medicine tries to learn as much as possible about a person's health through sort of sophisticated diagnostic tests, he said. So this is a, this is a cool thing. And just imagine how much sooner you could detect a lot of these other kinds of cancers and the likelihood that you would find even things like colon cancer or other very common types of cancer a lot earlier. And we know that the earlier you find it, the more likely your chances of stopping it are. So this could be a really good thing. You're talking about going from five types of cancer screenings that are common to 50 in a, in a simple blood test and finding it way sooner because you haven't gotten to the point where they're finally going to do a biopsy on something that you're just able to do. Hey, why don't we just do one of these blood tests? Just make sure it's not cancer. I think that's awesome. That could probably save a lot of people's lives, and we should be really happy with that. And uh, some would say appreciative of the people that are working on this. I don't know. The Galeri test, though promising, is not yet FDA approved. It still needs to undergo, in, undergo more testing to show it can produce reliable results every time. So they want to, you know, you want to make sure it works. That's that's fine. Now let's cover SpaceX here for a minute before we get out of here. I know this is going to be kind of a short episode, but like I said, I'm not feeling great. And um, actually just had to hit mute to cough while I was saying that. And so uh, I'm not feeling great. Charlie's not here. So we're just going to get some of these good news pieces out of here and I will let you all go on about your day. SpaceX is partnering with Fight for Peace organization to provide free Starlink internet to a lo- to a low-income community in Brazil. This is cool. You know, we've talked a lot about Starlink and how it's going to end up changing the world. And it's not just Starlink. There's other companies doing this kind of stuff too. Starlink's definitely going to be the first one. Amazon's working on the uh, on the same thing, although they're not, you know, getting it going yet. They don't have actual customers yet using the thing like Starlink does. We have a close friend of ours here in Nashville, or looks just outside of Nashville, that uses Starlink. Says it's amazing. SpaceX partnered with global nonprofit organization Fight for Peace to provide free Starlink internet to a low-income community in Brazil, according to the regulatory document the company filed with the National Telecommunications Agency of Brazil on Monday. The organization is dedicated to support young people. Uh, to supporting young people getting education to reach their full potential in underprivileged communities affected by crime and violence. So, I don't know. 
feel like this is probably uh, going to be a pretty good thing for the people where they're doing this free thing. Now, what's really interesting is why are they doing this? Of course, it's out of it's out of the goodness of their hearts is why they're doing it because they want to help people. That might be the reason, or it might just be because they want to prove that Starlink works. And while they're proving it, they're going to allow communities that are poor to use it to prove its effectiveness. Through the NGO Fight for Peace, Starlink would like to demonstrate its equipment and services by connecting a student community center. It provides educational resources for more than 40 students, being a high-speed connectivity test for a low-income group in the city of Sao Paulo. SpaceX wrote in Portuguese to the regulatory agency. The company plans to deliver Starlink user terminals to the community by February 4th, 2022. It's my wife's birthday. A good day. They've got a dish called Dishy McFlatface. I really like it when Elon Musk names things, and that is a pretty good thing. I'm assuming he named it. Maybe they have a whole naming committee over there at SpaceX that comes up with Elon Musk sounding names for all of their products. So this is the really cool thing about this is that it's going to help the people that they're letting use it for free. So that's a good thing. You're going to be able to see whether or not this changes some lives in this community. Maybe some people are going to get some more education, going to give them something else to do instead of getting involved in the crime and violence that's going on in their community. Maybe they can learn some new skills, get some jobs online. Maybe they, people can start some businesses, whatever it's going to be. And there's an interesting thing about capitalism where it doesn't have to be because they wanted to help these people. It, that, of course, we, you know, we want that to be the case as often as possible, and we want that to be the outcome of everything. But it doesn't have to be the reason that they're doing it. Actually, it's a byproduct of what their actual goals are. Starlink is a byproduct of what Elon Musk's goals are, which is to go to Mars. He said Starlink is going to fund the trip to Mars. I think it's going to fund way more than that for sure, but it's going to fund the trip to Mars. And Starlink wants to be able to get business, but they also want to prove their device's effectiveness. So they're going to give it to this community that doesn't have high-speed internet and these 40 students are going to be able to use it. And you're going to see whether or not it changes their lives for the better and how, uh, how well it worked for them. It's going to be a proof of concept for them. And they get to do a good thing while they're doing it. And they can look at this and say, hey, look at that. Look how good this did. Don't you want to put this in your community too? And all the while, these people are being helped because of their long-term goals as a business. I love it. That's capitalism. That's why so many people have been able to get out of poverty. It's a byproduct of capitalism. It's not, it doesn't have to be the goal of capitalism. It's a byproduct of capitalism, just like this is right here. So we're going to leave it right there with a nice, short, 27-minute episode today. We'll be right back tomorrow with a normal episode. Me and Charlie, probably both of us, tell your friends about the show, okay? We want to keep growing. Tell your family members, tell everyone about it. Subscribe to us on YouTube. We have a lot of videos, especially from yesterday. I cut like eight or nine video clips and put them up on YouTube. So if you want to see the video from Robert Reich played along with us destroying Robert Reich's ideas, then you want to go to YouTube and make sure you subscribe so you can see our beautiful faces on this podcast all the time and, and show that to your friends as well. The rating and review on Apple 
is super important. That's what tells the algorithmic gods that this podcast needs to show up in people's search results. So if you do all of those things, and I mean all of them, then we will be right back here again tomorrow. Until then, have a good day and a good morning, Liberty. Liberty.